Chapter 5 of The Pursuit of the Houseboat by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 A Conference on Deck. Here's a kettle of fish, said Kid, pulling his chin whisker in perplexity as he and his fellow pirates gathered about the captain to discuss the situation. I'm blessed if in all my experience I ever sailed athwart anything like it afore. Pirating with a lot of low-down ruffians like you gentlemen is bad enough, but on a craft loaded to the water's edge with advanced women I've half a mind to turn back. If you do, you swim. We'll not turn back with you, retorted Abu Capita, who in honor of his prowess Kid had appointed executive officer of the houseboat. I have no desire to be mutinous, Captain Kid. But I have not embarked upon this enterprise for a pleasure sail down the stick. I am out for business. If you had thirty thousand women on board, still should I not turn back. But what shall we do with them? pleaded Kid. Where can we go without attracting attention? Who's going to feed em? Who's going to dress em? Who's going to keep em in bonnets? You don't know anything about these creatures, my dear Abu Capita, and by the way, can't we arbitrate that name of yours? Would be fearful to remember in the excitement of a fight. Call him Ab, suggested Sir Henry Morgan with an ill-concealed sneer, for he was deeply jealous of Abu Capita's referral. If you do, I'll call you Morg and change your appearance to fit, retorted Abu Capita angrily. By the beards of all my sainted buccaneers, began Morgan, springing angrily to his feet, I'll have your life. Gentlemen, gentlemen, my noble ruffians, expostulated Kid. Come, come, this will never do. I must have no quarreling among my aides. This is no time for divisions in our councils. An entirely unexpected element has entered into our affairs, and it behooveth us to act in concert. It is no light matter. Excuse me, Captain, said Abu Capita, but that is where you and I do not agree. We've got our ship, and we've got our crew, and in addition we find the fates have thrown in a hundred or more women to act as ballast. Now I, for one, do not fear a woman. We can set them to work. There is plenty for them to do keeping things tidy, and if we get into a very hard fight and come out of the melee somewhat worse for the wear, it will be a blessing to have them along to mend our togas, sew buttons on our uniforms, and darn our hosiery. Morgan laughed sarcastically. When did you flourish, if ever, Colonel? he asked. Do you refer to me? queried Abu Capita with a frown. You've guessed correctly, replied Morgan icily. I have quite forgotten your date. Were you a success in the year one, or when? Admiral Abu Capita, Sir Henry, interposed Kidd, fearing a further outbreak of hostilities. Admiral Abu Capita was the terror of the seas in the seventh century, and what he undertook to do he did, and his piratical enterprises were carried out on a scale of magnificence which is without parallel off the comic opera stage. He never went forth without at least seventy galleys and a hundred other vessels. Abu Capita drew himself up proudly. 698 was my great year, he said. That's what I thought, said Morgan. That is to say, you got your ideas of women 1,200 years ago, and the ladies have changed somewhat since that time. I have great respect for you, sir, as a ruffian. I have no doubt that as a ruffian you are a complete success. But when it comes to feminology, you are sailing in unknown waters. The study of women, my dear Abuchanezer. Pita, retorted Abu Kapita irritably. I stand corrected. The study of women, my dear Peter, said Morgan, with a wink at Conrad, which fortunately the seventh-century pirate did not see, else there would have been an open break. The study of women is more difficult than that of astronomy. There may be two stars alike, but all women are unique. 
because she was this that or the other thing in your day does not prove that she is any of those things in our day in fact it proves the contrary why i venture even to say that no individual woman is alike that's a rather hazy thought said kid scratching his head in a puzzled sort of way i mean that she's different from herself at different times said morgan what is it the poet called her an infinite variety show or something of that sort of perpetual vaudeville a continuous performance as it were from twelve to twelve morgan is right admiral put in conrad the corsair acting temporarily as boson the times are sadly changed and woman is no longer what she was she is hardly what she is much less what she was the roman gynaceum would be an impossibility today you might as well expect delilah to open a barber shop on board this boat as ask any of these advanced females below stairs to sew buttons on a pirate's uniform after a fray or to keep the fringe on his epaulettes curled they're no longer sewing machines they are keely motors for mystery and perpetual motion women have views now they are no longer content to be looked at merely they must see for themselves and the more they see the more they wish to domesticate man and emancipate woman it's my private opinion that if we are to get along with them at all the best thing to do is to let them alone i've always found i was better off in the abstract and if this question is going to be settled in a purely democratic fashion by submitting it to a vote i'll vote for any measure which involves leaving them strictly to themselves they're nothing but a lot of ghosts anyhow like ourselves and we can pretend that we don't see them if that could be it would be excellent said morgan but it is impossible for a pirate of the byronic order my dear conrad you are strangely unversed in the ways of the sex which cheers but not inebriates we can no more ignore their presence upon this boat than we can expect whales to spout kerosene. In the first place, it would be excessively impolite of us to cut them, to decline to speak to them if they should address us. We may be pirates, ruffians, cutthroats, but I hope that we shall never forget that we are gentlemen. The whole situation is rather contrary to etiquette, don't you think? suggested Conrad. There's nobody to introduce us, and I can't really see how we can do otherwise than ignore them. I certainly am not going to stand on deck and make eyes at them to try to pick up an acquaintance with them, even if I am of a Byronic strain. You forget, said Kid, two essential features of the situation. These women are at present, or shortly will be, when they realize their situation, in distress, and a true gentleman may always fly to the rescue of a distressed female. And the second point, we shall soon be on the seas, and I understand that on the fashionable transatlantic lines it is now considered de rigueur to speak to anybody you choose to. This introduction business isn't going to stand in my way. Well, may I ask, put in Abu Capita, just what it is that is worrying you? You said something about feeding them and dressing them and keeping them in bonnets. I fancy there's enough fish in the sea to feed them, and as for their gowns and hats, they can make them themselves. Every woman is a milliner at heart. Exactly, and we'll have to pay the milliners. That's what bothers me. I was going to lead this expedition to London, Paris, and New York, Admiral. That's where the money is, and to get it you've got to go ashore to headquarters. You cannot nowadays find it on the high seas. Modern civilization, said Kid, has ruined the pirate's business. The latest news from the other world has really opened my eyes to certain facts that I never dreamed of. The conditions of the day of which I speak are interestingly shown in the experience of our friend Hawkins here. Captain Hawkins, would you have any objection to stating to these gentlemen the condition of affairs which led you to give up piracy on the high seas? Not the slightest, Captain Kidd, returned Captain Hawkins, who was a recent arrival in Hades. It is a sad little story, and it gives me pain for to think on it, but nonetheless I'll tell it since you ask me. 
When I were a mere boy, fellow pirates, I had but one ambition due to my reading, which was confined to stories of a Sunday school nader. Become something different from the little willies and the clever tommies what I read about therein. They was all good, and they all went to their reward too soon in life for me, who even in them days regarded death as a stuffy and unpleasant diversion. Learning at an early period that virtue was its only reward and a wish in others, I says to myself, Jim, says I, if you wishes to become a magnet in this village, be sinful. If so be as you are a good boy and kind to your sister and all other animals, you'll end up as a prosperous father with fifteen hundred a year, sure, with never no hope for public preferment beyond being made the superintendent of the Sunday school. But if so be as how you're bad, you may become famous and go to Congress and have your picture in the Sunday newspapers. So I looks around for books telling how to get famous in fifty ways, and after due reflection I settles in my mind that to be a pirate's just the thing for me, seeing as how it's both profitable and healthy. As an over details, let me tell you that I became a pirate. I ran away to sea, and by dint of perseverance, as the Sunday school book used to say, in my badness I soon became the center of an evil lot, and when I says to em, boys, I wants to be a pirate chief, they hollers back loud like, Jim, we're with you, and they was. For years I was the terror of the Venezuelan Gulf, the Spanish Main, and the Pacific Seas, but there was precious little money into it. The best pay I got was from a Sunday newspaper, which paid me well to sign an article on modern piracy, which I didn't write. Finally, business got so bad, the crew began to murmur, and I was at my wit's end to please em. When one morning, having passed a restless night, I picks up a newspaper and sees in it that next Sunday's steamer is a veritable treasure ship, taking out twelve million dollars and the jewels of a certain prima donna valued at five hundred thousand. Here's my chance, says I, and I goes to sea and lies in wait for the steamer. I captures her easy, my crew being hungry and fightin' accordin'-like. We steals the box a-holdin' the jewels and the bag containin' the millions, puzzles back to our own ship and makes for our rendezvous, me with two bullets in my leg, four of my crew killed and one engine of my ship disabled by a shot. But happy. Twelve and a half millions at one break is enough to make anybody happy. I should say so, said Abuka Peter with an ecstatic shake of his head. I didn't get that in all my career. Nor I, sighed Kid, but go on, Hawkins. Well, as I says, continued Captain Hawkins, we goes to the rendezvous to look over our booty. Captain Hawkins, says my valet, for I was a swell pirate gents and never traveled nowhere without a man to keep my clothes brushed and the proper wrinkles in my trousers. This year twelve millions, says he. It's very light, says he, carrying the bag ashore. I don't care how light it is, so long as it's twelve millions, Henderson, says I. But my heart sinks inside of me at his words, and the minute we lands, I sit down to investigate right there on the beach. I opens the bag, and it's the one I was after, but the twelve millions... Weren't there? cried Conrad. Yes, they was there, sighed Hawkins, but every bloomin' million was represented by a certified check and payable in London. By jingo, cried Morgan, what fearful luck! But you had the prima donna's jewels. Yes, said Hawkins with a moan, but they was like all other prima donna's jewels for advertising purposes only and made a gum Arabic. Horrible, said Abu Kapita, and the crew, what did they say? They was a crew of few words, sighed Hawkins, very few words and not a civil word in the lot, mostly adjectives of a profane kind. When I told them what had happened, they got mad at fortune for a jilting of them, and, well, I came here. I was assassinated that very night. They killed you, cried Morgan. A dozen times, nodded Hawkins, they was always a lavish lot. I met death in all its most horrid forms. 
First they stabbed me, then they shot me, then they clubbed me, and so on, ending up with a lynching. But I didn't mind much after the first, which hurt a bit. But now that I'm here, I'm glad it all happened. This life is sort of less responsible than that other. You can't hurt a ghost by shooting him, because there ain't nothing to hurt. And I must say, I like being a mirror vision what everyone can see through. All of which interesting tale proves what? queried Abu Kapita. That piracy on the sea is not profitable in these days of the check-banking system, said Kid. You can get a chance at real gold, it's all right, but it's of no earthly use to steal checks that people can stop payment on. Therefore, it was my plan to visit the cities and do a little freebooting there, where solid material wealth is to be found. Well, can't we do it now? asked Abu Kapita. Not with all these women tagging after us, returned Kid. If we went to London and lifted the whole Bank of England, these women would have it spent on Regent Street inside of twenty-four hours. Then leave them on board, said Abu Kapita. And have them steal the ship, retorted Kid. No, there are but two things to do. Take them back or land them in Paris. Tell them to spend a week on shore while we are provisioning. Tell them to shop to their heart's content, and while they are doing it, we can sneak off and leave them stranded. Splendid, cried Morgan. But will they consent? asked Abu Kapita. Consent to shop in Paris for a week? cried Morgan. <laughs> laughed Hawkins. Will they consent? Will a duck swim? And so it was decided, which was the first incident in the career of the houseboat, upon which the astute Mr. Sherlock Holmes had failed to count. End of chapter 5